Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. When we look back on Game 5 of Bucks Nets, you're probably going to remember one thing. Kevin Durant. Kevin Wayne Durant. Kevin! Because he turned in one of the biggest games you're ever going to see in your life. It's not exaggeration. That's not hyperbole. That was an all-time great performance by an all-time great player. I tweeted it last night. Name a better player in the world right now than KD. A series tied at two. Missing one co-star in Kyrie Irving. The other co-star, James Harden, out there on a bad leg. Really not contributing much of anything at all. And yet Kevin Durant turns in a freaking masterpiece. A game for the ages. 49, 17, and 10 in 48 minutes. I mean, you want to talk about a man's game. That is the very definition of a man's game. Man's game, bitch. Fact of the matter is, like, the numbers don't even do it justice. Not even close. What moment? You had to see it. You had to see it, and you had to witness it. And and if you didn't, and you love the game, then I suggest you go back and watch it. I'm not sure how if you love the game you could have missed it, but if for some reason you did, go back and watch it. Even if you know the result, you want to go back and watch it. Watching it live, you knew the result. You know what I'm saying? Like there was no game that he, no way he was going to lose that game. Just like there was no way the Bucks were going to win that game. More on that truly catastrophic performance by Milwaukee in a moment. But back to Durant. He was possessed. He was obsessed. He was relentless. He was in the kill zone. Whatever description you want to use, he was that and more. This guy absolutely torched everybody. And when he wasn't humiliating a defender, he was setting up a teammate. Or he was leading the defense at the other end. He was sharing the court with a two-time MVP and multiple All-Stars. And none of those guys were even in the same galaxy. And back to whether or not he's the best player in the world. Hey, look, if you don't give a damn about my opinion, that's fine. Never mind that generally I'm right. But that's fine. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of a two-time MVP. Because after the game, Giannis himself said, quote, You know, he's the best player in the world right now. End quote. Well, I do know that, G. Because I just saw him drag his team back from down 16 at halftime in a must-win game. And remember, we're just two years removed from this guy shredding his Achilles. An injury that ends careers. Guys are never the same after an Achilles. Except last night, he was. No, he was actually better. He was getting warm late in the third and then into the fourth. Nine-point lead again for the Bucs. Durant working right down the lane, twisting off the glass, and it's good for Durant. Durant moving left with a brown screen. Veers back to the right, pulls up from the elbow, and drains it. KD's got 31. And Budenholzer immediately points to P.J. Tucker. Get up to the table. I need your defense. Nets radio. It didn't matter who was on this guy because he got warm, and then he got going, and he got rolling. Durant out high in the right, played by Middleton. KD, a three on the way. Go! Nets with their first lead since 2-0. Kevin Durant moving into the front court. Out of the right wing. Three on the way. Got it again! 41 for KD. See, the thing about this guy, too, it's not just that he did it, but it's how easy he made it all look. And then this shot, of course, was the dagger. 
Nine to shoot for Brooklyn. In the black going left to right. Milking a one-point lead. Harden holds. Holiday all over him. Finds Durant. Working right. Put up three. Good! Oh, KD! Dagger. So James Harden ate up most of the shot clock. Got himself into a jam. Just kind of flung it at Durant with less than three left on the shot clock. Like, hey, yo. Hey, yo. Bail my ass out. You do this. And, of course, Durant did. Most mortals have no right to even take that shot, let alone make that shot, and he did both. And his peers were watching. No less an alpha than LeBron tweeted, quote, Greatness. Appreciate it while you can, people. Hashtag KD. Jamal Crawford threw it back to the lockout days. Quote, KD is at the rucker right now. LOL. End of quote. Man, that is the truth. That looked like Kevin Durant was just playing against some randos at the park. And that brings me to the other part of last night because as great as Kevin Durant was, and he was, the Milwaukee Bucks were just that bad. Man, they were awful. They were playing a team that was missing Kyrie Irving and had only part of James Harden on the floor. If ever there was a team that you should choke out and kill, it was that Nets team. James Harden was not ready. Credit for trying, but he couldn't go. He was struggling just to move, couldn't get into the paint at all on offense, couldn't hit a shot to save his life, and he sure as hell was not going to bother anybody defensively. Yet somehow he's still out there on the floor. How this guy was able to gut out 46 minutes, I have no idea. But I got a better question. How the hell did the Bucks even allow that? To quote the legendary Bob in L.A., how the hell did they not run his ass? Run his ass down. Right off the floor. Run his ass down. Not only that. But how did the Bucks allow Jeff Green to go off the way Jeff Green did? Look, I'm not going to kill them for not putting Giannis on KD in the second half, although a lot of people are. I'm not going to kill them for that. Like, frankly, to me, that's not even his game. He's not an elite perimeter defender. He's an elite help defender. And yes, I know he's the defensive player of the year. But just because you won that award does not mean you're a lockdown defender. Dikembe Mutombo won the award four times. You would not put him on KD last night. You wouldn't put Marc Gasol on him. I mean, I can go on and on. But here's the thing about Durant. It almost doesn't even matter. In fact, it doesn't matter. You weren't going to stop this guy. You could have put Dennis Rodman and Michael Jordan on Durant last night, and he was still going to get his. He was that locked in. That was an all-time great, having an all-time great night. When he's going like that, the way you beat him is you get the ball out of his hands as much as you possibly can, and then you outscore him. And, and, you sure as hell do not let Jeff Green go 8 for 11 from the field and 7 of 8 from deep. You can live with Durant going for 49. I mean, that's going to happen. But what you can't live with is Green going for 27 as well. I mean, how do you let Jeff Green let you up like that? Don't get me wrong. I really admire Uncle Jeff's courage and his grit and what he brings to a team. But are you kidding me? He's Jeff Green. He's coming off a foot injury, yet you made this guy look like Ray Allen. And that's the other side of this game. As transcendent as the Nets were, the Bucks, man, they were that infuriating. Like, I don't let it get personal because I don't care. I don't root. I don't have favorite teams. I don't have teams that I root against. Honestly, I do not care. Yet watching that, I'll own this. I will. The Bucks literally had me pissed. 
literally. And again, I don't care who wins. I don't have a dog in that fight. I really don't care about the scoreboard in that regard. Only that I've got something to talk about. And the Bucks blowing that 16-point halftime lead when they should have blown them out completely is giving me a lot to talk about. They should have run them right out of the gym. To quote, I don't know, Bob in L.A., run their ass. Run his ass down. They should have snatched their souls and essentially finished them last night. And it was right there for the taking. But the Bucks. Couldn't do it. They never can. They don't have that killer instinct. They don't finish. They stop attacking. They take their foot off the gas. They start spinning clock. And then they hope to hold on. Like, compare and contrast that with Durant. Or even compare and contrast that with, say, the Suns. How they finish the Lakers and the Nuggets. Hell, Chris Paul, he'll stab you in the heart and then he'll twist it. You got to be ruthless. And he is. And the Bucks aren't. And more on Paul a little bit later on. Look, I can't believe I'm about to do this. I can't believe that I would ever criticize a player who went 34-12 and 12 in a big game. But that was not the freak's best night. Not even close. Great player. By all accounts, great dude. But he looked absolutely lost late in that game. And there are going to be two plays that are going to stay with this guy and haunt that guy for a long time. There was that play where he had James Harden posted up. Connaughton with the rebound. The Bucks can take the lead. Get a good shot here. No turnovers. Giannis being guarded by Harden. Giannis goes to work. Giannis spinning. Turnaround jumper. No! He took it with a fadeaway jumper rather than attacking Harden. Right. Right. Exactly. Bucks radio. Exactly. I understand that James Harden is an underrated post-defender. I'll tell you what else I understand about James Harden. Dude's out here playing on one leg. And you're the freak. You can't be taking a fadeaway J in that situation. You just can't. It's not just about scoring there. It's about declaring intent, imposing your will, attacking. It's about being pissed off. Literally, it's about being pissed off that Harden waved off help and said, I got this. I can handle this myself. James Harden is out here on one leg saying, I've got the two-time MVP. His dude had so much tape on his leg, I couldn't tell if his leg was taped up or taped on. And he thinks he can stop Giannis one-on-one in the post. Like, how insulting is that? And why am I more insulted by that than Giannis? And the worst part is, the beard was right. Because the freak went with a fadeaway and he missed. And then, this play at the end. Giannis to the rebound. Bucks do not call a timeout. Two second difference, shot to game clock. Bucks down two. Middleton working in the paint. Leaves it off for Giannis. Lost it! Green knocked it loose, and Durant picked it up, and the Bucks commit a foul with 15 seconds to go. Unfortunately, that ball hit Giannis in the worst possible place, his hands. Hey, look, I know that kind of thing will happen. Moments like that are going to happen, but it can't happen in that moment if you're that guy. But it made sense, right? Because the Bucks look lost, as they often do at crunch time. They look like, how do I say this? They look like... They look like, well, deer in the headlights. Hey-o! If James Kelly were here, he'd say they look like they look like ass, total ass. Hey, and by the way, one more thing about the Bucks. Complaining about the officiating is such a bad look. How do you think the game was going to be officiated? You're on the road. 
The Nets were complaining that P.J. Tucker was too physical in Game 4. You know how that's going to go. The refs were not the ones who choked away a 17-point lead against a busted-up Nets team. You did. You didn't have to stop Durant. You had to stop Jeff Green. You didn't have to play a perfect game. You only had to hold on to a 17-point lead, and you couldn't do it. So, bottom line, credit to Durant for a transcendent game. And S-M-D-H to the Bucks for an absolute implosion. A loss like that's going to leave a mark. A serious three-dimensional scar that you'll see in the mirror every single day. Milwaukee better win the next two. Not just to keep their season alive, but to avoid a tank job that could wreck careers and legacies and set a franchise back for years. So running to the store has been pretty stressful of late, right? And there is nothing worse than forgetting something on your list and then needing to make another trip. Shopping for Home Essentials should be easy and convenient. This is where Grove Collaborative comes in. Grove is the online marketplace that delivers healthy home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you. And Grove Collaborative takes the guesswork out of going green. Browse the site for thousands of home, beauty, and personal care products, all guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and the planet. I love Grove. I want these products. I'm not sure where to get these products, or at least I didn't know until I found Grove. Making the switch to natural products has never been easier, and for a limited time, when you go to grove.co slash roam, you will get to choose a free gift with your first order of 30 bucks or more, but you have to use our special code. Go to grove.co slash roam to get your exclusive offer. That's grove.co slash roam. Austin Hooper, joining me for a few more moments. Uh, it was good. It was good. Uh, got to travel a little bit. Uh, went out to Egypt, saw the pyramids, hung out with some friends. And other than that, just domestically uh, traveled a little bit and trained uh, a little bit uh, all over and got some good time in with Baker. So overall, uh, good off season. Definitely ready to get back to work, Jim. Uh, Austin Hooper joining us. I was going to ask you about that trip to Egypt. Austin, that was amazing. Yeah. I saw the pictures and you were at the pyramids. Like, What was that experience like? Oh, man, it's crazy. I mean... I mean, obviously, with our country being so new, just taking a look at, you know, the cradle of civilization for our species, just taking a look at that, you know, that pyramid that's been there, you know, for thousands of years. And I had no idea, too, Jim, there's actually like a tomb in the middle of it um, that we actually got to <laughs> climb inside of and uh, go in. So it was, it was it was pretty awesome. I mean, something, you know, one of, one of the wonders of the world, right? So being able to see that just really just, it was, it was really, it was just a truly humbling moment just Dude. to be be there and check that out. Extremely well said by you. I appreciate that. Austin Hooper's joining us. All right, so you've been taking part in mini camps so far this week. What's the vibe like around the players and the team, and how has camp gone so far? <laughs> uh, excitement would be the word, Jim. I mean, uh, this off season for all of us to uh, to get back together, get on the grass, and uh, get after it. You know, of course, you know we're following rules, of course, naturally, but. Uh, you know, being able to get out there and compete in our way and uh, being able to get out there as a group, just getting into a huddle and being around everyone here in the play calls and being able to do it against the defense. It's been been a lot of fun. Austin Hooper is joining us. You mentioned Baker. You and Baker had some throwing sessions in the offseason. Like you pointed yep. out, how would you describe the chemistry that the two of you have developed since you first signed with Cleveland? 
Uh, I mean, just like any relationship, right, Jim? You just got to keep working at it and uh, keep understanding each other. So, I mean, it's it's been awesome. I mean, Baker, you know, being a guy who's, you know, my age and, you know, has, you know, similar points in our lives, it's uh, – uh, it, it's been awesome, man, just being able to have uh, – being with an older quarterback in Matt Ryan and also getting to experience a younger quarterback in Baker Mayfield, you know, a young, hungry guy who wants to work. So, I mean, it's been it's been awesome. I'm really grateful. We're talking Austin Hooper. What about, like, where you are in your career and where you guys are on the playbook? As an example, this is the first time in Baker's career that he's been with the same offensive scheme, with the same head coach, and the same offensive coordinator. It's his second – or this is your second year in the scheme – so how valuable yeah. is that experience, and then how much deeper into the playbook is the offense able to go as a result of everybody being more familiar now? Yeah, great question. I mean, uh, you said it. I mean, continuity is key, right? So, I mean, with – I wouldn't say I – I don't know if training wheels are necessarily the right way to say it, but, I mean, with no off season, you know, and everything that led up to training camp, Stefanski definitely had to keep it, you know, pretty vanilla, right, until about – halfway in the year where we really understood, okay, we're an outside zone team that does gap scheme. All right, here's some of our exotics in the run and pass game now. After having the full year where we got to, you know, lay it all out there, so to speak, this is where we got to, you know, have a little bit more fun with it, add some more wrinkles now that we understand, you know, now that we build a good foundation together, we get to work on everything else within the offense. So it's been fun to, you know, learn new stuff, you know, when you think uh, you have it all figured out. And it's like, no, 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 here we go. we got some more stuff to add. So it's been a lot of fun. Austin Hooper is joining us. You know, some teams have a year like the one you guys had last year, and you say, you know what, that was great. Let's just run this thing back and see what happens. Except that's not the approach. Like, you guys were really aggressive in the offseason, right? Adding talent on defense. So, Austin, what kind of a message does that send everybody in the locker room in terms of expectations for this year? I mean, you want to be in an organization, right, where – the expectation is 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 to be aggressive, and you know we want it now. There's no uh, um, there's no complacency, and there's no like, all right, we're building for you know four or five years down the road. It's like, no, we we got the guys here where we feel like we can uh, compete with any other football team in the league, and uh, it's just up to us to uh, put the product out there on the field and compete our tails off. I was going to say, you know, there's talk about a possible Super Bowl run. Austin, you kind of answered this in part, but I was going to say, like, when that type of thing comes up, can you, like, embrace that, pull some energy and fuel out of that, or do you just shut that down and ignore it and just stick to, quote, the process? Yeah, I mean, it sounds corny, but, I mean, I remember talking to you over the years. I mean, after while I was on that Super Bowl team, I mean, you would have asked me going into it, was that ever our goal? No, I mean, we just you know, worked, and I mean, it sounds super corny and super, you know, bull Durham answer, but it's for real, man. Like, uh, you just got to keep building the blocks, and then, I mean, on the Super Bowl team I was on, we didn't really think, you know, we were there until probably about week 12 or 13 that we really started finding our stride, but being able to be around this group of guys that are this hungry, it's definitely exciting, I can tell you that much. Austin Hooper, my guest, you know, that point about we found our stride week 12 or week 13, you know, Austin, like you're a fan of all sports, guys always want to play their best when it matters most, they want to peak at the right time. Is that something you can set up, like peaking at the right time, or do you have to just hope that happens? You just gotta. It's just gotta come organically. You can't really uh, force anything. It just has to happen, and uh, it's just like a you know nonverbal feeling everyone in the building has, where it's just this you know quiet sense of urgency that everyone has, where it's like, all right, now now is the time. Like, are we pretenders or contenders? So that's something that definitely comes at a certain point in the year when 
you know, every team's different, right? It's the uh, reality of sports. But uh, once we all get battle-tested together, we'll really be able to, you know, see where we're at. So this has been the fun part here in the here in the minicamp period, just, you know, being around each other, learning each other, and uh, picking up the playbook. So, you know, this is this is the fun part. This is the beginning. Austin Hooper joining me for a few more moments. Travis Kelsey, Austin was hyping you guys up recently. This is an amazing era, obviously, for tight ends. And you were invited to the Tight End University, which is coming up next week in Nashville. For those who are not familiar with that, what is TEU all about? Yeah, I mean, this is the first year it's going to happen. I mean, I and uh, with George and Travis, uh, you know, hustling and bustling, setting the whole event up together. And uh, so I'm sure you can imagine it's not, uh, you know, maybe not, it might be the most uh, itemized itinerary of all time, but I can tell you what, we're going to work and we're going to be able to learn from each other. And that's just what it's all about because, I mean, every tight end across this league has something that you can learn from. So I really think it's awesome that, Travis and George are putting on this opportunity for all of us to come together in one city and just learn from each other, work out together, and just understand each other, like understand everyone's process, understand everyone's mentality and how they, you know, get it done, so to speak. So, I mean, I definitely think it's invaluable, and I think it's about time. I mean, the pass rushers have one, the O-linemen have one, so... I think it's about time that the tight ends get one. So I'm really looking forward to it. Austin, what is that? Like, as an example, and as you point out, it's not the only position group that does it, but it would seem to me that when you guys are amongst the most competitive people in the world and it could be such a ruthless business that you might not want to help each other, you might not want to share trade sure. secrets or how you do it. Like, why are you so willing to do that? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, at the end of the day, I just feel like um, some people can definitely feel that kind of way, but I feel like... Uh, you know, I can't speak for all positions, but I mean, at least for tight ends, I mean, it's just like most other positions. I mean, it's tough, man. You gotta, you gotta run block. You gotta block in space. You gotta run routes inside, outside. You gotta pass block in the backfield, pass block on the line. Like, there's so many different, you know, facets to the position. So, I mean, and everyone brings something a little different to the table, and that's just such a multifaceted, difficult position. I just feel like. I mean, ever since I've been in the league, I mean, all the other tight ends have been super supportive of each other because, I mean, well, there are, you know, two, three linebackers on the field, three, four D linemen, you know, however many, you know, DBs, whatever. It's usually just one tight end, maybe two. So <laughs> you're kind of out there by yourself. So tight ends have uh, historically supported each other, which uh, I'm, I'm very proud to say that. You know, when you lay it out like that, it reminds everybody of how demanding that position is, how technical that position is, how athletic you have to be to play that position. Kittle has made the point that there's a brotherhood among the tight ends. Is it because of what you just said, because of how demanding that position is, how unique you have to be to play that position? Is that what that brotherhood's all about? Yeah, I would say that, definitely. I mean, it's just uh, such a multifaceted position, and, uh, you know, it's... Uh, and there's no real blueprint to it. I mean, you got guys that are, you know, taller. You got guys that are shorter. You got guys that are everywhere in between weight-wise. I mean, different, you know, route running style, different blocking style. So, I mean, it's just such a, you know, wide variety of uh, skills across the league. So, I mean, it's been a brotherhood because everyone's got something that someone else, uh, you know, because we all obviously watch each other on tape and everybody does something that one else looks at and tries to emulate out there on the field. So it's going to be awesome. To be able to do awesome. One last thought. Because of what you just said, because everybody is so different, right? Some are big, some are smaller, some run routes better, some block better. Because everybody's so different, my final question, what is it that unites tight ends? Like, what does it take to be a great tight end in the league right now? Hmm. That's a great question. I mean, 
honestly, you just gotta you gotta be versatile. You gotta be able to do a little bit of everything because uh, you know if you're the guy who comes out on the field on third down, you already tip in the hand of the defense what it is. If you're just you know the guy who's there in goal line, you know predominantly run situation, you know what it is. So I mean, for the most part, tight ends across the league got to be able to do everything, and that versatility is what you know helps the offense stay honest and keeps the defense stay honest as well. I'd like to reiterate, he is a two-time Pro Bowler. He entered last season leading all tight ends in catch percentage over the past three years. He is a Stanford man. He is a friend of the program. And they're going to run it back again. You've got the season opener at Kansas City, Browns, Chiefs. Austin, my man, so good to have you on the show. You know I appreciate this relationship. Great to have you back, man. Thank you. Appreciate you, brother. Talk soon. This is a metaphor for your business's journey. Sometimes it feels like the course keeps changing right before your eyes. Whoa! And in order to maneuver it, you need an expert by your side. That's what Dell Technologies advisors do. They have the tech solutions you need to help you get out in front and stay ahead of the game. Whew. For advice on solutions like XPS 13 laptops powered by Intel Evo platform, call an advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. WTB this AM. WTB this AM. What the bleep? I'm not even talking about KD going off. I'm not even talking about the Bucks going into the tank. I'm talking about everything that happened after that and everything that happened even before that. If the 2021 NBA playoffs had a slogan, it would be whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Think about it. I'm talking about AD. Anthony Davis and his injury. I'm talking about LeBron and his injury. I'm talking about Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Joel Embiid. I could keep going and going and going, but you get the picture. And now I'm talking about Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard. All right, two breaking stories, especially one as it relates to Kawhi. But let me start with Chris Paul. Sham Sharinia tweeted, quote, Phoenix Suns All-NBA guard Chris Paul has entered COVID-19 health and safety protocols and is sidelined for an indefinite period of time, sources tell The Athletic. End quote. Man, you want to talk about a record scratch. Even for Chris Paul. Even if something bad always seems to happen to this guy at the worst possible time. I mean, the closer he gets to the ring, the bigger the stage, the worse the luck, the worse the news, the more unlucky this guy seems to get. I mean, that's pretty much his brand, right? But even for this guy, even during a pandemic, this is pretty incredible, pretty unbelievable. Honestly, I didn't even believe it when I saw it. Like, I figured that was just some loser jerking around, some D-bag with a fake Woj or a Shams account, you know? That sounds like something that would be tweeted by at Sham Sharinia or at The Real Woj, but it was a verified Sham's account. So I am verifiably in shock. Hey, oh. Chris Paul entering COVID health and safety protocols now and sidelined for an indefinite period of time. Like, how is that real? How is that possible? This is a guy who has been through so many injuries, injuries that come up at the worst possible times in the playoffs, and now this guy, of all guys, is in COVID health and safety protocols. As Shams tweeted, quote, Paul's status for the start of the Western Conference Finals is currently up in the air, sources say. 
noteworthy. Depending on the medical circumstance, an isolation period could be shorter for a vaccinated individual. End of quote. Didn't pop his hammy, didn't turn an ankle, didn't have his back go out, didn't have somebody retaliate by punching him in the package. This dude got dropped into the league's COVID health and safety protocols at a time where he's playing some of his best basketball ever and has maybe his best look ever at a ring, and he's 36. Hey, better hope this guy was vaccinated. I say that so as his stint on that list is as short as possibly can be if he's vaccinated. Because if not, he'll never live that down, no matter how on brand it is for him. The brand being, he's one of the more unlucky dudes ever. That was not the only bomb that dropped this morning. There was more. This bomb dropped earlier, and it continues to drop as we speak. 30 minutes after the first bomb, Wendy tweets, quote, Kawhi Leonard is expected to miss Game 5 against the Jazz tonight with a knee injury suffered in Game 4. Sources tell Ramona Shelburne and me. Uh-oh! You want to talk about another junk punch. You win two straight. You get back in that series. You look like a legitimate threat threat to go all the way. And if that were not enough, there's so much more. It's so much worse. Let me read the final sentence of Wendy's tweet. Quote, his status for the rest of the series is in doubt as well. All right, so at that point, we're thinking he's out for game five and his status might be in doubt for the rest of the series as well. Holy crap. Now, I don't know about you. This is what this makes me think. Remember when Kawhi was asked about the knee after game four and he said, quote, nah, I'll be good, end of quote. Personally, I was thinking, nah, Seeing that at the time, I'm guessing you won't be good. No, seeing him at the time, that struck me like, dude's anything but good. And I'm not at all convinced that he'll be good for game five. And come to find out he's not. Now, why do I say that? Like, I'm not a doctor, but I don't need to be to know that that was not good. Not good. That was blow not good. Blow not good. Not if he was sitting on the bench at the end of a must-win playoff game, regardless of how big the lead was. That told me that was not good. Not good. And it gets worse, right? Like, I'm not a curse guy. I don't believe in that crap. But is there any, any Clipper fan anywhere who didn't think this might happen? Didn't expect this to happen. And as I mentioned, it's getting even worse. The story continues to update even as we speak. Sham Sharinia tweeted moments ago, Clippers fear all NBA star Kawhi Leonard has suffered an ACL injury. Sources tell at The Athletic, at Stadium, he is out indefinitely. How the hell did we go from, nah, I'm good, to maybe a sprain, to now a possible ACL, and out indefinitely. Like, this is getting worse by the moment. Quote, now I'm good. Now I'm good. Yeah, not really. In fact, it's really bad. So now Chris Paul is in COVID protocol, 
And Kawhi Leonard is out indefinitely with an ACL, potentially. Remember I said yesterday, all right, so where does that leave the Clippers, right? I mean, a moment ago, they were on the verge of getting run right out of the postseason in the first round. Then they come back, they look like they're the team to beat, maybe, and now this. I mean, this is a crazy, crazy offseason. So where does that leave them? Remember I said yesterday, do not count the Nets out. Because Kevin Durant, while he can't go like supernova and beat the Bucks four times by himself, he can do it for a game. And maybe two if he has to. And then he did. So the question now is, can Pandemic P if he has to? Because now he's going to be without his winger. Indefinitely. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's take it one game at a time. Can this guy go out there and get a critical win on the road? I'm not saying it'll be all on Paul George, but it will all be on him if he does not show up in a certain way. I'd say Clipper's going to clip. But this season, everybody gonna everybody. Because I've never seen a postseason with so many stars in street clothes when it matters most. Like, here's hoping Chris Paul can come out of protocol as quickly as possible. But in terms of Kawhi, it sounds like he's not coming back anytime soon. Not if he's out indefinitely. So if you're the Clippers, you better hope that Pandemic P and their bros have career nights like Durant did last night. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Hey, you want to hear something incredible? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically and with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards, that's where. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. Micah Hyde is my guest. Micah, it's great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm good, Jeff. How you doing, my man? Dude, I'm great. It's so good to hear your voice. Great to have you back. So you've been a regular at OTAs and mini camps throughout your entire career. Let me let me start right there. Why is it important for you to take part and be involved in these workouts? What do you personally get out of that? Uh, I think it's just being around the guys. You know, obviously, it's this time of year. We've got a lot of free time. We're only in the building for a few hours out of the day. But, um, you know, just seeing the guys – you know, just having fun around the complex, uh, going golfing together, doing that type of stuff. And uh, I think it's also good for the, for the young guys. The young guys, see the older guys, uh, put a name with the face and um, just come here and talk a little football. I got it. Micah Hyde joining us. So you signed that extension back in March. What did it mean for you to have signed that deal and know that you're going to be in Buffalo for a while longer? Uh, you know, it's a blessing. It's a blessing just because, you know, we, uh, you know, myself and some other guys were able to come here uh, back in 2017 where – um, you know, around here, here in Buffalo wasn't looking good. Um, so now, you know, we got the ball rolling and, and here we are in 2021 um, with the new extension. I'll be here a few more years to finish what we started. Hey, Mike, it makes so much sense right now, but if we were to go back to when you first came to Buffalo, the team was coming off that 7-9 and nine season. They had not been to the postseason uh-huh. since 99. So at that time, what was it that sold you on Buffalo and what was the vision you had for the team? I think it was Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott, uh, you know, I have a conversation with him. I just, uh, I just had a feel for what uh, what he was trying, his message, and what he was trying to say. So, uh, I mean, that kind of brought me here. And once I got here, um, you know, just being around the guys, you know, obviously you had to. Uh, it was a process. You had to start from from, you know, step one, 
Um, and I was ready for that process. And I was in Green Bay for a few years, so I knew what you know winning looked like. And you know, the, a lot of guys that, that Sean brought in also knew what winning looked like. So, you know, we just kind of all band together, started fighting, started going to war, and you know, here we are, just still trying to do that. Micah Hyde, my guest. So, what was it like to have that thing play out? I mean, you have unfinished business; you're not quite there yet, but this thing's working. It's playing out the way that you thought that it would. What's that feel like? And then what's it feel like to know that you are one of the central pieces of a turnaround, which includes those three playoff trips in the last four years? Yeah, well, obviously last year losing the AFC Championship game was uh, was painful. It hurt. Uh, you know, it's anytime you get that far and you don't win at all, um, you know, it's going to it's gonna sting a little bit. So, that we, you know, we had that feeling all offseason. But at the end of the day, the, the NFL schedule, the, or I'm sorry, the, the roster, it changes each and every year. So that's not the same team that we had. You know, this coming year. So we're going to have to work again. We're going to have to work to get back to that same position. And then, you know, it was myself um, being, you know, one of the guys that was able to help turn around, turn this organization around. Um, you know, it's just a blessing also. Um, you know, I, I always viewed myself as a leader. I um, still view myself as, as, as a leader. So um, to be able to be here for this turnaround, for this community, for these fans, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's honestly nothing better. Micah Hyde joining us. So what about that? I mean, you touched on it, but to get that close and then not quite finish the job, like what's your reaction to that? For instance, how are you processing that? Did that feel like that's a nice building block or did that leave you feel kind of angry and more motivated than ever? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, obviously the building block because, you know, this organization hasn't been back there for, for a long time, but at the same time, it's, uh, you know, you're a little, you're a little pissed, um, you know, just because, you know, we felt like we didn't play our best game. Um, we didn't, you know, the coaches feel like they didn't coach their best game. So we went out on the field and we just uh, kind of laid an egg. Uh, you know, we felt like, yeah, obviously, you got to give the credit to the Kansas City Chiefs. They're, they're the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, with, the, with their quarterback and, the, you know, the guys that have on that football team. They're a very excellent, elite football team. And we knew that we had to play our A game to go in there and, and get a win, and we just didn't. Um, so it's kind of a little bit of both, uh, but it's, it's definitely something to work off of. Micah Hyde joining us. I mean, fair enough, right? They are the Chiefs. They do have that quarterback, but you are the Bills and you have your quarterback. In fact, you said it. One of the things that you said as part of your pitch to other guys, yeah, it's going to snow, but this is not the old Buffalo. This is the new Buffalo. This is the Josh Allen Buffalo. Like, what does it mean to have the Josh Allen Buffalo? Like, when you say that, what do you mean? What's the pitch? What does that involve? Uh, going into each and every game, knowing you got a shot to win. Uh, there's only a, there's only a few teams in this league that can say that, and and you know, for a long time Buffalo was not one of those teams. Um, Josh Allen's a real deal. I think everybody saw, you know, what he was able to do last year, and this is his progression throughout the last couple of years. Um, the boy's a competitor, so you know, each and every game that we play in, I know if 17's ca- you know catching the snaps, we have a shot. Michael Hyde joining me for a few more moments. You mentioned that you played in Green Bay, of course. You know, that's, Green Bay is such a great place. It's a great, it's a great town. It's a great fan base. But you said, quote, I was winning in Green Bay. That was fun. It was a blast. We had a hell of a time, but winning in Buffalo is totally different. The whole city yeah. is on fire. I'm not saying one's better than the other. Or, or would you say, is one better than the other? How are they different? Uh, yeah, it's just a little bit, it's, it's a little bit different just because winning in Green Bay, is kind of, uh, kind of was expected, you know, with a guy like Aaron Rodgers being there for a while, they won a Super Bowl a few years before I got there. Um, uh, we were winning a lot of games, but went to a couple my four years there, we went to a couple NFC championship games, um, that, you know, we laid an egg in also, but, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of expected. This is the tradition around Green Bay, always winning tradition, that type of stuff. And then you get to Buffalo, um, 2017 made it to the playoffs. I don't know how. I still say that, like, we were just grinding. We went through a, uh, a mid-season slump where we were getting beat by 40 points a game um, and then somehow made it into the playoffs. So, 
you know, just to see the progression um, from where this organization was to where it is now, you know, it's, it's totally different winning here. And I think that the, the culture's changed here. You know, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean has done an awesome job bringing in guys, high character guys. And it starts with that, you know, guys on this team want to win. Um, and we got some studs. Like I said last year, this is, this is a whole different football team. And we got some studs on the offensive side, defensive side, special teams. And, you know, we're going to go out there each and every game and give it our best. Mike, I could tell that the, the feeling you have for the guys that you go to battle with, like Jordan Poyer was on Twitter. He was so fired up when you signed your extension. I had him on the show a few weeks back, and I've got so much respect for him and for what the two of you do on the field together. You made the point that you don't think that he gets the respect that he deserves. Why do oh, you yeah. think that is? And what are people not seeing when they watch him? You know, I don't expect I don't expect people to understand what, you know, what we go through on a day-to-day basis, you know, how early we wake up and how we're in the, the, the complex working out, you know, before anybody or staying late watching film. I don't expect people to know that, um, you know, we're, and we're not going to sit here and, and tell everybody, you know, our, our daily schedule. But at the end of the day, you know, what we've been able to do on the football field for these past four seasons, um, you know, we, we, were, we were talking the other day to, to our DB coach, like, who – who else in the league has been together for the last four years and and and, and played as much as we have together the snaps? Um, and and Poe is is one of the best safeties in the league. Like this dude can do it all. He ta- he as much as many tackles as any other safety. You know, damn near linebackers. Um, you know, he has the interceptions. He has the forced fumbles. Uh, he's one of our captains. Like, what more do you expect the guy to do? Like he's he's literally done it all. So, and this isn't just one one breakout season. This is the last four. So, you know, I, I just think that, you know, with, with a guy like Poe and a guy like myself, who we're able to do every day um, to help this help this team win football games. I mean, I would say he doesn't get enough respect, but hey, as a duo, I don't think we get enough respect. I really respect that you guys don't get enough respect. Well, no, I don't respect that you don't get enough respect. I respect the way you answer that question about not getting enough respect. It's true. Like, nobody would have any idea the sacrifices that are made, the price that's paid. And I think you made that point really, really well. Micah, I don't know about you, but like time to me is really weird. Like in the sense, I remember when Tremont Williams was the young guy and he was up and coming. Uh-huh. He, back in March, announced his retirement. You mentioned yeah. that you want to be a guy who leads. You want to teach it to other guys. When you mm-hmm. came up, how much did you learn from him and how much does he meant to you? Uh, I still say to this day, Tremont is the, the, the most freakiest athlete I've seen. Like this dude, you know, at, at uh, Lambeau Field, there's a basketball court. And um, Tremont used to just stand underneath the hoop and just win me or just do crazy dunks. And I'm like, who, what, what is this guy doing? But, um, you know, just learning from guys like that, you know, I was, I was, I was a little mad. I was, I was a year after um, Charles Woodson left, left Green Bay. So I wish I was able to play with him for a year. But once I got there, you know, I had Tremont Williams, you had Jared Bush. You had uh, Sam Shields, you had Morgan Burnett, you had a whole bunch of older guys in the DB room that were, um, you know, that were established, that were making plays. So I was able to learn from them, and that's just what I try to do today. Um, you know, there's just young guys that have questions, and it's not even it's not even about football. It's about just being a man. I think that um, I've learned a lot growing in this league, going on year nine. But I just try to pass all the wisdom down to the younger guys, and if they got questions about, you know, finances, um, you know, family, relationships, any, anything like that, man, I try to give them try to give him some wisdom because I know that those guys did that for me. And um, I think as a, as an NFL football player, it's kind of a fraternity. And, you know, we all obviously go out there and compete against each other. We want to be the best. We're all alpha, alpha males. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I think that we, 
we're all here trying to help each other out, and that's what I try to do for the young guys. Man, I love this conversation so much. Really quickly, like when you talk about Tremont Williams standing underneath the basket and being able to dunk and how freakish yeah. he was athletically, like how much of his success is about that, but how much of it is mental and preparation and doing the things that you have to do that others don't want to do as opposed yep. to freakish athletic ability? You know, and that's the – I had a 500-kid camp um, a couple weekends ago in my hometown, free camp for all these kids. And, and the number one questions that they ask or the parents ask me is, is um, you know, what did you learn growing up, uh, small town, all that type of stuff? And I said, uh, the number one thing for me is sacrifice. You know, there was a lot of times where I had to, I had to go out there and, and, you know, play sports my whole life um, and not be able to go on vacation with my friends and all that type of stuff. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the message that I give kids is you're going to have to sacrifice and, and put in the work each and every day. And, it's not always going to be fun. You got to put your head down to work. And I think mentally, um, not a lot of guys have that. And I think the, once you once you make it, you know, to year nine in the league, obviously you have that and, and beyond. But um, this is a tough game. It's a violent game. Uh, each and every day you wake up and you got to come here and you got to bang, you got to put pads on. It's physical. Um, but at the end of the day, that's what we get paid to do. So you got to have the mentality for it. Well, man, this is the kind of interview that I want to listen to again as soon as I'm done doing it. Micah Hyde, Pro Bowler, All-Pro, much respect. I appreciate you, Micah. Thank you so much for doing that. That was great. Jim Rome, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. We'll talk to you later. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. Garrick Higo is my guest. Garrick, it's great to have you on the show. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. It's great to visit with you. Thanks so much. Listen, there's a lot to talk about, not a lot of time. So let me jump into it. You go back to Sunday. You were six shots back at the start of that round. So what was your mental approach before the start? And what were you kind of thinking and processing as you went into that round? I was just trying to stay in it. I mean, I didn't expect to really win um, starting the day. But I knew if I stayed in it, um, you know, I was going to be up there. you know, hopefully finish top five. And, you know, if I can make, you know, a few birdies uh, coming in, I could, you know, have a good chance. And luckily, pars were good enough. Um, I made a nice eagle and a birdie on the back nine, um, which definitely helped. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So before you teed off, you actually received a phone call from Gary Player. I know the two of you go back a ways. What was his message to you? And then what did it mean to you to have him reach out the way he did? Yeah, I mean, he's done that throughout, you know, the years which has been awesome um yeah you, you just said that you know he's he's done it quite a few times where he's come back from six behind um and it's just nice to hear you know the way he's done it um and what he was thinking when he was doing it you know staying present and um you know just doing what you do and you know not letting anything else affect that so um it definitely helped me it was really it was really nice i wasn't expecting the call um because i was six back i didn't think you know he would, you know, but obviously because he's done it so many times, it was it was relevant, wasn't it? <laughs> right. Garrick Higo joining us. You know, you mentioned the point of staying uh, present. To that point, you said that typically you are a scoreboard watcher, but for some reason on Sunday you were not doing that at all. Why do you think that yeah. was? I don't know. I mean, it wasn't a conscious thing. I was just, I was kind of just, I knew I was up there. I was somewhere around, you know, top 10. Um, I was playing all right, but it was kind of, a, it was so tricky. I didn't really want to. I just 
I just stuck to my game and, you know, try to stay in it. The front nine doesn't play so great. I was hitting a couple of um, scluffy shots. Um, but my short game kept me in there. Um, and then when I made eagle on thir- 13 or 12, um, I kind of had a glance and I saw, okay, I'm two or three back now. Um, if I have a strong finish, I'll, you know, have a good chance. But if not, I just want to kind of stay stay in it. Um, because the, the last three are easy if you play them well, but tough if you don't. So, I knew if I just stayed stayed up there, I would have a chance. All right, so when you won the Canary Islands Championship last month, it was your second win in three weeks that tied you with Tiger Woods for the fewest number of events played to reach three career wins. So how would you describe where your game is right now? Do you feel like when you show up to the course every single week, do you expect something good to happen and be right in the middle of the action? I mean, not really, no. Hmm. Um, I just try and do the things I know I need to do to play all right. Um, and then, you know, if I do get it going, that's great. If not, I'll, you know, I'll figure it out. I'll make a couple of putts. I'll chip in a few times. So, um, yeah, I just enjoy the challenge. Garrick Higo is joining us. So with a win like that comes all sorts of new opportunities like membership on the PGA Tour through the end of 2023 and more. So how do you go about celebrating a win like that? Or do you not even have time because you got to get out to San Diego and get ready for Torrey Pines? Yeah, we didn't really have a lot of time, but we had dinner um, on Monday, which is really nice. Um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, my mom's here, so it was nice to have her here. Um, yeah, it's a, it was a great week. So what are your early thoughts when you think about Torrey Pines? Have you gotten out? Have you played yet? And what are your thoughts about the U.S. Open there? Yeah, I mean, the course is it's the same grass you have in South Africa. It's Kukuyu and Power Green. Um it's uh, it's a lot like Cape Town, San Diego. So, um, yeah, it feels a little bit like home. Um, the rough's very thick, obviously, as the U.S. Open. So, you're gonna have to hit it pretty straight and have a great short game. So, hopefully, I can do both both those things. You know, Garrett, before you go, you mentioned what it was like back home. For those who do not know, can you share the story about Gary Player? The two of you go back a long way. How did you first come into contact with him? Yeah, so uh, he's got a holiday house on the golf estate we used to live in in Plettenberg Bay um, and when I was nine um, my dad passed away and his mom died when he was nine so and I was playing nine and he kind of we've you know met up and we played nine holes together and we've played quite a few times since so yeah he's been he's been amazing he's sent me a lot of letters he's phoned me a lot we've yeah he's, he's helped me all the way so it's amazing so finally, you said that one of the keys for last week was staying patient. How did you go about doing that, especially on Sunday, as the pressure started to mount, other guys were struggling? How do you kind of slow your mind down and slow yourself down and stay calm in that moment? I think you just got to enjoy it. Um, just enjoy how tough it is. Um, you know, the shots that you've got to hit, you've just got to enjoy and, you know, have a lot of imagination and, and that'll keep you, that'll keep you, you know, present because then you that's the only thing you're focusing on. So I think that's kind of what it is. I like that. Came back from six yeah. shots down to win, which was the largest comeback on the PGA Tour this season. World ranked number 39, a 1.03 p.m. tee time at Torrey tomorrow. Garrick Higgle, my guest. Garrick, great to meet you. Great to have you on the show. And thanks so much for doing that. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks so much. Good night now!